and were there, were there any lessons that you learned playing against someone like Peter Osgood on your debut at that young an age that you can still look back upon and say, yeah, do you know what? I picked up so much from him because he was a fearsome striker, wasn't he? He, yeah, he was He was a good player. I, I learned not to get too involved too early. I think I got overexcited and I got booked very early on. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to tackle him again. You know, like, bear in mind in them days, you, you, you t- maybe seven or eight tackles before you get booked. But the referee, I don't know if he took a dislike to him because maybe he was a Peter Osgood fan. But I'd, I'd only tackled him twice and the second one was a nothing. But... Uh, I just said, welcome to the game, Ozzy. <laughs> like yeah, I, I, oh, wow. I bet you love that. <laughs> because, again, you know, that Osgood and the strikers of that generation, they were just as good at tackling <laughs> as the centre-backs, oh, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, and they would take they it and they would give it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an ambi-pambi game now, isn't it? There's like... Well, tackling's outlawed. It's not a contact sport anymore, let's be honest. I, I mean... don't understand this tackling without following through. I don't. If you if you win the ball and you follow through, you can't stop. It's Thank like you. I, Thank it's you. Like yeah, asking, you're a man after my own heart. I mean, I'm going to indulge myself a little bit now and say that I, I centre half. You know, centre right. mid centre half. Tackling is an art. Yeah. Right? I I still play I still play vets football uh, over at the Warren for the Met Police and that. And um, it's it's outlawed, you know, you've got, you've got vets now playing that are just throwing themselves to the ground at the slightest touch. You're thinking, I've won the ball cleanly. Tackling yeah. is an art. If I've, if I've gone through on you, then fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, but, uh, it's, it's a dying art, a dying art. Well, nobody seems to want to... Well, I don't think MD really knows how to tackle anymore because they're not... I mean, the, the tackling thing, I remember playing years ago when you could kick people at Kevin Keegan all over the place. And then they outlawed the tackling from behind, which you could just come through a player, take him the ball, not even touch the ball, and that was normal. Into, so, into the crowd and just say, yeah. on with it. <laughs> but, so when they, when they said you can't tackle from behind, I thought that was a good thing because it allowed people want to see flair players. They, want, yeah. they don't want to see people rolling on the floor all the time. But nowadays, it's just, I, I don't understand how you can ask somebody to tackle and not follow through. No. It's like, it's, like asking a high jump jumper to jump over a high pole without swinging their arms. It's like, but also, it's a bit like it's actually now causing, it can cause worse injuries now because, because players don't know how to tackle, haven't been brought up to tackle properly, mm-hmm. slide on the ground, you know, be on the ground sliding when you're hitting someone as opposed to jumping yeah. in with two feet. That's where the injuries occur or are occurring now. I mean, the next thing I guess will be heading. That'll be, you know, that'll probably. Uh, well, that, it's going to be it's going to be reduced, isn't it? But I watch some of these games and I'm seeing these people header. And I'm thinking you can't even header a ball. You know, it's flicking off their head. Well, how many times have we seen it hit the player on the shoulder? I know. As, I, as I, they go for it and it hits I them know. on the shoulder, and you think, come on. But it's, that's probably why tackling is is shown in a bad light at the moment because we're just saying that people don't know how to tackle. I mean, I can't remember ever getting in for a tackle with both feet off the floor, straight, trying to to come through with the ball. And so you can understand why people are getting sent off because the guy that's tackling, you think, what are you doing? (laughs) It's like, you might see that on Hackney Marshes on a Sunday sometimes. but Probably. Yeah. 
I mean, you are right. You're right about it. It's a, it's a shame because you know there's nothing gets a crowd up more than you know than, than a, an honest, good, honest tackle. You know, mm-hmm. just, just to get the juices going. And of course, you know, you know as well as, as 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 anyone watching will do, is that when the team's down and you're in a fight, if, if one of your players cleans a player out with the ball, obviously ball first and then through the player, it gets everyone up. Yeah, I know. It's them going. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. Right, okay, so that's your debut. Do you remember much more about it? Do you want to talk, talk us about the goal? Uh, I just remember it was a free kick. I, I think Alan Whittle and Don Rogers were... And I, I'd had, in that actual game, in that, a spell of about 20 minutes, I had a couple of headers. One hit the top of the crossbar. I think one the keeper saved. I didn't realise I was that good in the air at that time. But uh, it was just... Don Rogers flighted it over and uh, I just got above Osgood and planted it in the back of the net. And, uh, and it gave him a little wink. <laughs> it was a nice, nice feeling, I'll tell you. It was a nice feeling. It was good because the cameras were there as well. So that, Exactly, that exactly. You know, and and obviously it's one of your 39 goals. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'll need to check that. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry. Um, so... Again, you know, you just you just dropped it in there. Don Goodman, what was he like as a player? Don Rogers. Don Rogers, sorry, Don, Don Rogers, Rogers, not Don Goodman. Yeah. Yeah, Don, Rogers. <laughs> Don Goodman. He played for Wolves, I think, didn't he? He did, he did. He's yes. a good commentator. I, I, Don was quality. He was like, he he could just fly through mud. Like, he he always come off the pitch when they were wearing all white. He'd always come off the pitch immaculate. And you think, how do you mind that? Like, there's six foot of mud out there. And, uh... He was a great player, great, great, unbelievable pace, good at running with the ball, and he was a good finisher. He was, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was a class, class act. He was. And again, to try, you know, a player of his his caliber, as you say, running, dribbling with the ball on pitches that that you know were the state like mud baths some of some of the time, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the fantastic artistry. Well, I mean, when I look at players now, I, I, there was a game the other night and they were mourning about the pitch because it was a bit cut up. And I'm thinking, well, that was like a first day of the season pitch. You know, like... Yeah, I know. And, you know, even, as I say, you know, back in what, 15 years ago, the, the pitches were... I, 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 I'm not going to say they're spoiled, but I don't think that the players nowadays realise just how lucky they are. Even the training pitches are immaculate. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, you can see that. Somebody said to me not that long ago, I thought it was a great quote. They were asked if the players of my era could have played today. And he says, that's an impertinent question. You should be asking, can the players of today have played in our era? Because they wouldn't have. No. They wouldn't have been able to. They they wouldn't have played on pitches like what we played on. They wouldn't have liked to tackle and. So I thought it was a great way of twisting it round. Because people always say, oh, do you think you could have played today? And now I'll just say, well, ask that player that's out there today if he could have played in the 70s. No, he couldn't have. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, OK, moving on a few years. Uh, and then, Mr. Uh, we start getting this rivalry with uh, Brighton. Mm. Now, obviously, that is uh, primarily fueled by the two managers. Yeah. So, how how did the team deal with that at the time? Did they get involved in that? Did, did that did that heighten 
the anticipation whenever we played Brighton at that time? Well, uh, yeah, I think it heightened it because it was like, although they're like 60 miles down the coast, it was, uh, I suppose it's a local derby. Um, and they they were a good side and had some really good players. But the players, we used to go down to Brighton quite a lot, you know, like go down for two or three days and train. I think it was at Lansing College. And, and then we when we had the 76 cut run, we'd play a game on a Saturday and go straight down there and come home on the Thursday, uh, just getting ready for the, for the next FA Cup game, whatever one it was. But we used to go out with all the Brighton lads. We'd go out to the pub with them. And like Stevie Foster was always up here. His stepfather uh, was the CEO of, I think, Grants or one of them. He was a lovely Peter, guy called Peter Saunders. So I, I knew him and his family really well. So there was no... Once you're on the pitch, it's like everything's forgotten. Any friendship you ever had has gone out of the window. But I think it was more Mallory and Terry Venables. So we didn't, we didn't get too involved. And obviously... What the, the fans don't like Brighton. I, I I think they've never liked Brighton. So I don't I don't think any managers sort of like uh, dislike for one another made any difference to Palace or Brighton fans. They just I think however it started, probably well no fan likes any other fan really do they? So but uh, well, I don't, yeah I mean I, the clear, clearly rivals are uh, a built. Uh, are built out of this sort of thing, and then obviously there there are certain clubs fans that uh, we uh, don't like quite as much as others. I think that's probably the best way <laughs> yeah. to put it. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm at, at risk of outing you now. I mean, I know that because uh, I spoke to you when we were being held back. I know that you uh, have been to a number of uh, Palace away games at the Amex. Watch, uh, you know, and... I've been one. Oh well, that must have been the only one I caught up with you. Then. Yeah, there's that, only one. That, that I, was the one where we all got held in afterwards. Yeah, we get stuck there for about an hour, don't we, or something? But yeah. yeah no, yeah. I, I didn't, as, as a, obviously I'm a Palace fan, but I didn't like that, like being stuck in. It's like, no, but I just, I thought I was, I was wondering whether or not that was, it was, you know, because you're Palace through, you know, I'm, I'm attributing to you to be being Palace through and through. Uh, uh, and obviously, you know, us playing Brighton, whether or not that, the, the rivalry had anything to do with that. Um, you go yeah, to probably, probably the police kept us in just out of spite. <laughs> probably yeah, well, Palace <laughs> just put them in I might have to cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, you're probably right. But do you uh, do you go to uh, watch the team when we're allowed to? Uh, have you watched them uh, many times away? Uh, no, the last game I watched away would have been the year before last at Fulham. Okay. Nice game to go to. Yeah, well, the old player, old Palace player, well, Fulham player, but he played at Palace, Les Strong. He does the same sort of work as I do match days. He looks after one of the sort of lounges up there. And, uh, yeah, it was was a friend of mine um, took us. It was a corporate day out, so it was great. But it's such a horrible little ground to get in and out of. It's just a nightmare. But once you're in it, it is a lovely ground, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's so it's full prepared. of character. And I, I dare say it's going to look unbelievable when they finish that new mm. stand over the overlooking the, the river. That's going yeah. to be brilliant. So and they're really I'm, good in the championship. 
Yeah, well, I'm hoping that they're going to be there next year because I'll be going back, but I won't go through <laughs> in the championship. Mind you, as long as we're not in it. We're yeah, well, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's a uh, list of fingers crossed after yesterday's result. Okay, so um, let's move on then. And uh, late on in the 70s, uh, there is obviously that game against Burnley in 79. Uh, you know, we need it. Uh, we need to win uh, to go up as champions over Brighton, mm. who at the time that we start the match uh, on top. So talk us through the the feeling amongst the squad uh, and the club in in the week before the game, in the run up to the game. What was the pressure like on that? Well, I can't, I can't imagine. I think we're quite a young side at that particular time. Um, and I think all the lads were just really looking forward to it. Terry Venables kept everything really low-key. You know, he, he didn't sort of fuss too much about the game. It was just a game on a Friday, which is unusual he play on a Friday night. I think it's because of the, the FA Cup on the, the Saturday. Uh, so he, he just kept everything to a minimum. You know, training was very light-hearted. It was just enjoyable. And it was only on the day of the game. We, I remember we went, there was a hotel called the Auckland Hotel in Auckland Road, uh, up by the club, which was probably a five-minute drive away. And the police outback riders come in about half four, five o'clock and said, we need to go. And we all gone, well, we, we can't, we, we, we don't get there till an hour before. We'll leave about 20 past six. They, they went, no, you need to go now. It took us about 45 minutes to an hour to get from there, the place. And I think then everybody's looking at one another thinking, oh, there's something on this game, isn't there? Never seen people. Uh, I mean, I played in front of 40,000 people, but it, it just seemed that, uh, People were coming out of the woodwork for that game. And, uh, well, they literally were, weren't they? 51,500. Yeah. I know, yeah, yeah. Where were we when we needed them the most? Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, what was that atmosphere like, though? When you walked out on that pitch for the first time, you know, kick off, what was it like walking out into that? It, well, it was nice. I mean, it's. I, I, when, the, when you had a big crowd there, it was great. When you run out the tunnel, like the hairs in the back of your neck would stand. You, you just had that. But it was it was just, you were just looking. Obviously, the, the one thing in our mind was we want to win that league. More so because Brighton were the other team. But the most important thing was getting out of the second division. You know, if, if we'd have gone up second, we'd have still celebrated. But... Uh, it, yeah, it was just, it's, you can't understand when you see 51,000 people and every single one of them is basically a palace support mm. screaming and shouting. The, the atmosphere was brilliant. And uh, it, it made you realise how important it was, not just for the players, but for that lot who'd been watching us for years and years and years. And it's your chance to give them something back. So, and I get, and I guess it just shows. Even now, it shows you the potential that the club has. This club has got unbelievable potential. Um, probably we just need a sugar daddy, with a few hundred million. I, mean, I don't think the uh, the Americans have sort of done much. I think probably they don't want any to do it anymore. Um, 
But I mean, most clubs in the Premiership, if they've got a few bob, they can they can move on. I think we're in a position that we might always be a team that finishes mid-table at the moment until we can maybe somebody come in and and push us on a little bit. And I I don't mean that detrimental to Steve Parrish because I think he's been unbelievable, but he's not a multi-millionaire, you know, he's or a billionaire. Um, So it's... uh, It's tough. Hopefully, we keep keep our fingers crossed. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think I I agree with you. I mean, we'll we'll come back to the the club and... um, the current the current situation at the end of this because this is primarily about you obviously but no I agree is that um, in order to take a club forward now you have to have bottom you have to be willing to lose the money essentially mm. and uh, it would be unfair if someone like uh, the two Steves uh, and the other investors that came in in, in uh, 2010 to expect them to carry the burden moving forward. Um, but uh, yeah, let's part that for now, and then we'll come back to that because I think that's an interesting discussion. So, team of the eighties, run up that label, team of the eighties. What yeah. sort of pressure did that put on you guys? <laughs> uh, I don't think it put any pressure to start with, but once results start sort of going the other way, and then the same people that labelled as the team of the eighties are saying. To, that the bubbles burst. So, I mean, we never said it. We, no, there's not one player ever even thought about that. We were just a team that had happened to win the second division and had a, a really good start to the first division. We're a really good side. Uh, and I, I don't think we had enough experience maybe to, to handle it when it, things started to sort of go wrong. But the first year was fine. You know, we finished about 13th. We had a great start. We got to the top of the league for a, a few days. So, I mean, I think the players all looked at one another. I'm sure Terry thought, right, that's that's okay. Mm-hmm. That, that's good. It was just the second year when... I mean, I, I knew something was up. Terry, we played Sunderland away in the second season. And... Uh, we, he'd always allow us to have a beer after. We'd always sit down and have a dinner together. And he'd say, right, you can go and have a shandy or a beer and then go to bed. And he said, I want to have a chat with you. I thought he's going to drop me. <laughs> What's he, what, he never wants to have a chat with me on a Friday night. And he, he just took me aside and he said, what do you think, how do you think the lads would feel if I left? And I went, what do you mean, leave? And he, uh, he said, well... He says, I've heard that they've already interviewed Howard Wilkinson for my job. He said, so I'm not happy with that. And uh, I've got a lot of serious thinking to do. And that was it. And then within a few weeks, he'd gone. And I knew he was gone because he turned up one day in a Rolls Royce with um, JG1 on it, Jim Gregory 1 who was chairman of Queen's Park Rangers. It was his big mucker. I mean, love I thought you were going to say he had a, a QPR sticker in the back of it. Or something. <laughs> yeah, no, he might as well have done. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, with Jim Gregory's, we all knew who it was. You know, yeah. we all thought, well, he's gone. So, and, and that was sad because... But how did that make you guys feel? Well, I never said nothing to the players. I just, like, I, I thought, it's just going to blow over, you know. And uh, and then when it all came to fruition, it was uh, 
I think it devastated a lot of the younger lads. Well, even me, myself, because the guy was brilliant. You know, he was like the best manager I've I've ever had. And I, you can speak to all the people, the Glen Hoddles and all that. They will turn around and say he was the finest coach they've ever come across. So it was a, a great shame and a, the ignorance of people like Raymond Bloy at the time, uh, who probably didn't really understand football. Um, um, so that, that was a shame. Did you get any? Did you get any inkling? Sorry, uh, as to why they were looking for someone else other than him? Well, because we hadn't started that well, right? So uh, it we, was purely down to the form. Yeah, yeah. We weren't like we weren't in terrible, but things weren't going well. Um, and yeah, I think Terry just. But I think Terry Venables was probably a tech manager. It was always going to move about. You know, he, he went QPR, Barcelona, Spurs, and all that. Not yeah, that was a that was a jump, wasn't it? <laughs> not not from Sellers to QPR, but from QPR to Barcelona. I mean, that was fabulous, fabulous. Well, that was unbelievable. And like I, I remember uh, Dario Grady was manager, and he said to me, "Terry's been on the phone, or Jim Gregory's been on the phone, and what he's saying you." And uh, I thought, oh. And, and the more I thought about it, it was I, I played there, Astro Turf. It was just like playing on rock, and I I just thought, no, I'm not. I don't want to play on that sort of surface. Uh, and then he left there. He got to Barcelona. I thought, oh, maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe I could have had a trip to Spain. But... The pitches are still rock hard over there, but just a different a different climate. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But so, I mean. So when he when he went to QPR, obviously he took quite a few players with him as well, didn't he? Yeah. So yeah. do so do you think that had a bigger effect on the end of the outcome of the season than him if he'd have gone on his own? Um well I think it was because he took like his his assistant, the coaches, physio he, like, he, t- he took he took everything by yeah, the he, sink, he, by the sound he, of it. He, yeah, he took the, the, the lot really. Um, player wise, he didn't. I think he took John Burridge, um, didn't Terry Fennick go? Terry as well? Fennick, but Terry yeah. Fennick wasn't a regular at the time, so right. at the time, he didn't think it would be a, a great loss. As it turned out, it turned out to be a wonderfully gifted player, Terry Fennick. So, unless he faced Maradona, <laughs> yeah, well, unless uh, so it, that would have probably been a, an asset to us, but yeah, he took it. I wouldn't say he ripped the heart out of it, but when him and all the coaches that he'd been involved with for quite a few years all just suddenly disappear, it's uh, it's it's hard to pick yourself up and get going again. And as I said before, we had a, a really young side, and I, I I don't think it helped them. And there was probably a few sulking and didn't want him to be there, and uh, and just things went from bad to worse. And then Mr. O'Grady turned up. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, what we're doing is we're now entering into what I like to refer to as the the fallow years, the dark ages. Yeah. Um, certainly, certainly in my time of support, it's just as the time I would, I just started to. I would have probably been, what nineteen eighty. I would have been nine. So it, I, you know, after Terry uh, Terry Venables left, then we started to the crowd started to disappear. Uh, and I would have been one of the 4,000, you know, uh, on the Tuesday night against Luton or whatever, um, and hello to the next person on the terrace. But as a player, how, how that must have been soul-destroying. 
Yeah, it was it was it wasn't easy to run out from running out thirty thousand fans like just a year before mm. to suddenly fall. But football <coughs> football in them days that weren't just about football. Fans, the the, the, the fuggery and the violence at football games in, in that particular time basically I think stopped thousands of fans going to it was just it was just not a nice. There was fights all the time, and uh, it, it weren't really till they sorted it all out. And that was only after a couple of disasters that they decided to sort of like put their act, get their act together. But it, it wasn't a nice time to play football, I must admit. Uh, and it certainly weren't good playing in front of four or five thousand people. Right, talk, talk to me about the influence from day one as to Stevie Cobble walking into the club. What did he bring? Well, he brought class as a, as a player because he was better than any player in his team. <laughs> oh, and Tappy went, oh, hang on. He said, what would you mean tomorrow? He said, well, we'll do it. He went, no. He said, we need to do the exact same thing again tomorrow. He went, why? He said, because this isn't Manchester United. You can't show them once and they'll get it. And he gathered everybody, staff, all the players, so youth team, reserve team, first team. And he's opening words where, this isn't my team. He says, I'm building now to get out of the second division next year. And oh, wow, there's a rally cry. Everybody. And then for you, this is towards the end of your career with us. Yeah. Um, put me through about the you know the final months and um, how how you leaving the club came about. I'm I'm quite a sensible, level-headed type of guy, and when somebody says you're not wanted, I just say fair enough, good luck, and I'm gone, and I don't look back. I've always been like that. But I did get a bit peeved off later on when I suddenly thought, why didn't you tell me during the week? And then I, I could have, we could have sort of done a little thing, let the, the, the fans know. And then I could have said, should we wrote to them? <laughs>